0: with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA, and we talk to the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Matt Pennington, who heads up RFA's Southeast Asian Services. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: I'm doing well, thanks, Paul. Have you had a busy week?
0: Yeah, it's always something, uh, Matt. Uh, Of course, on the podcast, I focused on Northeast Asia, but in my day job, Uh, I cover the same region as you do. So we get a lot of stories. You know, we've got fighting in Myanmar. We've got COVID across Southeast Asia. And then we've got China and we've got the Uyghurs. So never a dull moment.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, on the Burma front, I was interested to see that ASEAN had finally appointed an envoy to help broker a resolution to the political crisis there. Taken them 102 days to appoint the um, second Bruton Bruninian foreign minister. Is that how you say the adjective for someone from Brunei? Bruninian? I'm not sure. (laughs) Good question,
0: but I'm glad you didn't hold your breath for that appointment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, indeed. So we'll have to see if he has any success. He's going to have full access to all parties, meaning that he should be able to see Aung San Suu Kyi. But actually, when the same foreign minister, uh, Erwan Youssef, visited Myanmar back in May, as in his capacity as someone representing the chairman of ASEAN, because Brunei is currently the chairman of ASEAN, he didn't see Aung San Suu Kyi. So I think if he fails to do that as an envoy, it would be a big setback to any effort to resolve the crisis. So what was your highlight story of the week?
0: Well, China's turning the screws on large segments of its population, and uh, the Hong Kong crackdown is at least a year old what we have is some visa issues. Uh, Hong Kong is a, now has political prisoners like the rest of China and people in danger for their writings and their beliefs. So the United States has a, just yesterday announced a policy of uh, extending their stay. So if their visas for work or whatever they're here for study expire, they get another something like 18 to 24 months. Of course this angered China. Meanwhile China in an unrelated move is has stopped issuing new passports to its citizens. And also slowed down or made very difficult the issuing of new passports for those Chinese overseas when their passports expire. They're citing the coronavirus, and they are indeed having the Delta variant show up in China. But nonetheless, Chinese critics are very suspicious. They feel like China is taking another step to cut their people off from the world.
1: That's a very strange move to make. I mean, if it was a COVID restriction, you could just... You know, uh, prevent travel, but actually stopping people from renewing their passport seems very odd. Anyway, so what's in the podcast?
0: Well, this week, a new Chinese ambassador has taken up his post in Washington, a man named Qin Gang. Could this turn a new page in that fraught relationship between China and the United States? I'll speak with that with Rita Chung of RFA's Mandarin service, who closely follows the diplomatic twists and turns between the two global powers. But we first travel to Southeast Asia and a move by authoritarian Cambodia to monitor a segment of the population that already have their backs against the wall. Journalists. So over to you, Matt.
1: So to Cambodia, where we will be looking at the condition of the news media. It's been a tough few years for independent journalists, as Prime Minister Hun Sen has tightened his grip on the political system and the government has shown growing intolerance for dissent. This week, the Ministry of Information announced the formation of a commission to monitor journalistic ethics, but also with powers to monitor and discipline reporters. Critics immediately suspected this could be intended to stifle coverage. The government does not like, although the government denies that. To speak to me about these developments, I'm joined by Nop V, one of the most respected people in the news media in Cambodia. He was formerly a media development manager at the NGO, the Cambodian Centre for Independent Media, and is now the executive director of a relatively new organisation, the Cambodian Journalist Alliance, or Cambodia, an independent journalist network. He will be the lone independent journalist voice on the new ethics commission being convened by the Information Ministry. Welcome, Nokvi. Hi, Matt. It's good to have you.
2: Thank, you. Thank you very much for giving me opportunity.
1: So, first of all, can I just ask you for your assessment of what is the state of the free press in Cambodia these days? Can independent journalists operate properly?
2: I, I think, uh, you know, the, the situation of the, the free press in Cambodia is still uh, the big concern for, for us, for uh, like the association who have been working to promote the press freedom and also to uh, protect the journalists. While you know uh, the the complaint against the former Radio Free Asia reporter is still at the court. And also the complaint, again, the former of the Cambodia Daily's reporter uh, also have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, progressing at at the court as well. And the complaint has been taken for a long time already. And then the the journalists couldn't, you know, uh, come back to uh, fulfill their their duty to report freely uh, for their people. And in this country, you know, uh, we also uh, recorded a lot of cases against journalists. Uh, just the six months of this year, 2021, uh, Cambodia recorded uh, more than 30 cases, again, uh, 47 journalists already, who have been, you know, accused, arrested and also sent to the prison. So those those are the cases, you know, uh, which uh, sound very similar to last year, which Cambodia, you know, recorded uh, more than 30 cases as well, again, uh, 73 journalists, uh, you know, who have been harassed by the local authority and also, you know, the, the, the illegal locker and also like cop fighter as well. So those are the big concern. And at the same time, you know, the, the journalists who have been, uh, you know, uh, working for independent media, just a few independent media in inside the country, they are also uh, put, putting them uh, uh, censorship as well. Whilst you know they still uh, very uh, you know concerned and also uh, got fear when they uh, reporting about the the sensitive case, especially the case again the uh, high ranking government and also military, and then. Uh, a reporter also uh, uh, facing uh, accusation when they report the case uh, on the covid-19 uh, recently just a few weeks that uh, a reporter in batambang province was also accused and also arrested And as you also uh, may aware that, uh, you know, the the reporter of Ratisai and Radio Station based in Kampung Sanang were also accused and uh, sent to to the court and sent to the prison as well since last
1: year. Can you tell us a little bit more about about some of those cases? You're saying reporters who have been basically sent to prison for their coverage of the COVID situation?
2: Uh, a reporter in Battambang province, they, they, uh, he, has been, he has been working for online uh, 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 you know, broadcaster and then uh, he uh, you know, uh, complained about the Chinese vaccine on his post on his Facebook, Facebook page. And then uh, just you know, a day later, uh, the authority accused him and right now he, he, he has been arrested and, and uh, still in the prison. Uh, this is a case, uh, you know, who have been, uh, you know, uh, which has been happening uh, uh, during the, the COVID-19 pandemics, and uh, this is not only the case, uh, like the case of the, the Chinese reporter uh, who, who was working based in in Xinjiang province. He also wrote an article about the selling of, uh, you know, vaccine import from China and then uh, he was uh, deported and also you know uh, 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 his license withdrew as well you know withd- withdrew back by the ministry of information
1: so i mean do you think the the situation for the for the free press in cambodia is is deteriorating i mean we all know that you know in 2017 the government took some pretty radical steps you know against the political opposition and against independent outlets including radio free asia kind of forcing us to Shut down our our office. Do you think that the situation is is has deteriorated since then in the past four years? Uh,
2: for, for, for me, uh, you know, uh, the the situation uh, became worse in 2017, and uh, based on the the ranks of the reporter without border in 2000, uh, 2021. I think the situation is still, uh, you know, uh, 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 not so good, but it's also not so bad. Uh, while, you know, uh, Ministry of Information, they uh, uh, a little bit open for lies uh, uh, our association registration and also lies uh, VOA uh, also open their, their uh, office registration officially in Cambodia as well. And uh, you know uh, we still have you know some some space of the on 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 on, on internet like digital space for our uh, you know uh, broadcasting. So, uh, uh, but but we still you know have our big concern if you know uh, the government still uh, has not takes serious actions to protect journalists, uh, you know, against any harassment and also to not. Uh, Working to support them by, by, you know, such as the of the like access to information law, and also uh, not make amendment of the press law in order to make sure that you know those laws are actively, uh, you know, promoted to uh, the work of journalists and also uh, you know supporting them and protects them.
1: Okay. So, can we talk a little bit about this new ethics commission that the Ministry of Information has set up to sort of monitor journalists, potentially discipline them, but um, to, you know, ab- apparently to improve the, the the quality of journalism in Cambodia? Why do you think the government um, decided to set up this commission? Uh,
2: my understanding is that you know. Uh uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, actually, you know, as uh, a lot of land conflict in in the country, and um, uh, during this situation, you know, and also uh, because of the uh, uh, flexibility using of internet and uh, smartphone, the people in Cambodia they they are very actively active to uh, use, you know, social media and smartphone to report from everywhere uh, uh, including, you know, from the, the rural area. So uh, more and more people participated in, in those reporting even though they are fear on any accusation against their activity. But they're still working, they're still reporting, and more social media journalists have been exposing their 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 story on, on social media even though they uh, have less knowledge of the journalism skill, and they also uh, have not uh, understand about the code of ethics. So I have heard, uh, you know, publics also critics to the work of some journalists, not during this COVID-19 pandemic, but in, you know, last few years. Working with uh, the Journalist Association, we have very, we are very limited to, you know, offer the capacity buildings to the local journalists. So uh, I also uh, observe, you know, uh, there are uh, some suggestions to Ministry of Informations to uh, monitor, you know, to monitor, to check what uh, have been uh, reporting by those like social media reporters. I think this is maybe the reason that uh, Ministry of Information uh, decided to create the uh, uh, Code of 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 uh, ethics uh, like commissions to monitor code journalist code of ethics and uh, i'm not quite sure but uh, i also concerned that the, the, the commission also uh, my working uh, you know uh, over the their role and i also concerned that if they they work you know over their their role and duty uh, which defined in in the uh, broadcast of ministry of information in then it will, uh, you know, put uh, more pressures to the professional journalists. So that's why, you know, uh, when the Ministry of Information invite us, we also checks uh, what have been uh, written in the Prakas and then uh, we saw that okay, we 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 are happy to join them to uh, work and to promote the the code of uh, ethics for the journalists, especially the new journalists and also the citizen journalists, and also uh, you know to. Uh, promote uh, and also to uh, encourage to the professional journalists. So this is the scope of work that we believe the commi- Commission should do uh, with their, their mandate.
1: So, I mean, you think that potentially there's a positive role for this Commission, um, but obviously there's a, there's a great, there's some skepticism as well because it's very Heavily staffed by members of um, the Ministry of Information. If I if I'm right, I think it, is it nine yeah. members. Nine right. of the fifteen members are from the ministry. Is that right?
2: Yes, you are right, Matt. And uh, this is uh, something that I also uh, you know don't believe as well because you know uh, minist- the, the representative of Ministry of Information invited me, and uh, we we also asked them to uh, you know see us what the mandate. Uh, which have been, uh, you know, uh, written into uh, uh, for uh, the mandate of the commissions. And then uh, what I, I I think is that the draft of mandate that we also can uh, discuss together with the member of the commission as well. And then later on when we also con- confirm our participation in the commission. And then uh, the, we we also uh, just got the request of the Ministry of Information. Uh, who uh, you know confirm about establishment of this commission?
1: So you will be sitting on this commission. what What other journalists will be uh, or journalist associations will be represented?
2: I observe uh, at least five journalists association, including uh, you know club of Cambodian Journalists as well, who uh, have been included in into you know uh, this commission.
1: Okay, okay, so I mean finally, What do you, how do you feel about the future of the news media in Cambodia? I mean, do you feel optimistic, you know, because there's a lot of interest in people reporting and putting their views out on social media? Or are you maybe pessimistic because of the authoritarian actions and in some occasions by the the government of Hun Sen?
2: It is difficult, very difficult for me to, to, uh, you know, express my trust or, you know, uh, my belief to the future of the digital media in Cambodia while, you know, uh, we also working under uh, pressure, under censorship as well. Uh, but at the same time, for me, if you ask the question like this, I, I can say that I'm very optimistic. What I I can say like this, because, you know, I believe the the education, I believe about the Uh, opportunity of the, uh, uh, you know, improvement of the technology and also uh, the the use of the social media among our people. I trust that, you know, our people will uh, increase their understanding, uh, their knowledge of using the social media effectively. And from day to day, they will, uh, you know, understand about what is their new, what is their uh, fake news, and then uh, they uh, can participate through uh, dissemination uh, quality quality news to the, the other people. And then uh, they will be engaged with the professional journalists as well, for the citizen journalists, because, uh, you know, more people, uh, they become the citizen journalists. So I believe that they... Uh, Will understand their role as the quality of the citizen, and then they can use the technology and social media to, you know, promote the social justice in the in the country, and then they also uh, participate with us to promote the access access to information rights of our people.
1: Okay, I mean th- those are very wise words, and I think in many countries the role of citizen journalists is becoming increasingly important. Nopfi, thank you so much for your view on the state of the news media in Cambodia and good luck to you in your, in your work with Cambodia, which is an excellent organization.
2: Thank you very much, Matt. Have a good day.
0: Thanks to Matt and to Nopfi for speaking to Eyes on Asia from Phnom Penh. I must admit, I don't envy Nopfi's task in holding the candle for the independent press in the new commission in Cambodia.
1: Yeah, it's hard to think that the new commission is going to have a positive role just because there are so many government people on the body. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I think that like there's a, definitely a role for like press councils, even in even in authoritarian countries that can be useful in, in sort of preventing people or cases going to court. You know, if you get some sort of mediation between the journalist It's meant to have done an offending story and then the complainant, you know, so they get some resolution without having to go to the police or something.
0: Yeah, we saw some bits, we saw some parts of that happening in Myanmar back before the military coup d'etat, where at least some of the worst situations were sort of eased by the Myanmar press council. But I believe that press council was much more independent than what we're talking about in Cambodia, at least now.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that press council was kind of uh, a, a mix of pro-government people and independent people, but there were plenty of independent voices in the in the commission and it, in the press council. And actually, RFA we um, we benefited from their intervention sometimes when we had problems with the military. But of course, all this has just gone by the wayside now that the the coup has happened and. Um, The military is totally calling all of the shots.
0: Indeed, and it's very dangerous to be a journalist in Myanmar these days. My guest this week is Rita Chung from RFA's Mandarin service, a veteran diplomatic correspondent who has covered the issue of U.S.-China relations for RFA, as well as on her previous career for Taiwan's Central News Agency. Thank you for making time for us today, Rita. How are you?
3: Hi, Po. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: The U.S. and China have done a lot more screaming at each other than talking to each other lately, but they have designated ambassadors to go to each other's capital, and China's new ambassador has, in fact, arrived in Washington. What do you know about the new ambassador, Rita? Uh,
3: First, uh, Paul, I I would like to say that I liked your description about screaming with each other, because now we are having the Chinese ambassador, Mr. Gang here, and then I will call him like the pioneer or the master of the wolf warrior. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. And
0: and remind our listeners, what are the wolf warriors? What do they do? They're nationalists or they're, what are they? Bullies, what are they?
3: Oh, uh, as a wolf warrior in the Chinese diplomat, we always say that um, nobody can accuse Chinese government. And then nobody can talk about the like the domestic issues such as uh Hong Kong, Taiwan, Xinjiang, and Tibet, and the human rights issue is None of your business for the Chinese diplomat. And so we call it that's the wolf warrior. And then they are eager to fight everything. That if anyone say anything bad towards China, I they are see, eager to fight.
0: <laughs> I see. But Mr. Chin, Ambassador mm. Chin, mm. or Ambassador Designate Chin. He mm. he was from an earlier period before China did all of that. Uh, they were never uh, easy to talk to, the Chinese uh, spokesman. They tended to have a line, and they stuck with it. But nonetheless, mm. he was a bit more of the old style. Am I right?
3: Um, yes, you can say that he's still kind of like an old style, uh, very traditional kind of yeah diplomat. However, I think that for Chinese diplomat, that's the hard hold. That's the, their nature, when the for, especially when the foreign correspondent or foreign j- journalists are challenging the like, issue like, for instance, the human rights or Hong Kong or Xinjiang, then they, they will always fight.
2: What
0: sort of example do you have of Qinggang taking a hardline stance like a wolf warrior dip- deployment? Oh.
3: I can share with you one one example. Uh, one Japanese correspondent told me that when he was covering he was covering China in Beijing, that once there is a question concerning about the Chinese defense budgets growing fast, and then Gong replied and showing his very, very famous face. I was uh, it's like uh, he will just turn his nose up and say, "P.O.A. is not the Boy Scout with the red tassel spear." Tela spear is like the traditional antique weapons from uh, in Chinese culture so um I will say this uh, he knows word and he knows how to act to protect he uh, Chinese image when he thinks it's right and then he also knows harsh work and he's good at sarcasm as well and he's good at acting as well
0: <laughs> I see one of the <laughs> comments about him coming in is that he's not a veteran U.S. expert or watcher, but uh, what kind of start has he made in Washington so far? If there's any way to measure that in these early days,
3: yes, I think that everybody is asking why him. I was, um, I would say this: I think he's the inner circle of and the inner circle person that President Xi trusts a lot, uh, especially when he was the chief of protocol on Chinese, uh, Foreign Affairs Ministry that. Uh, Ryan Hurst, uh, he was the former N.S.C. official. He told me that Qingdao is there, Qinggang dares to piece everybody off, to make everybody unhappy as long as he thinks that it's the right thing to do for correct image of President Xi when he was accompanying uh, President Xi to visit United States uh, in 2015. So that's the impression he has, and then but also like the. Robert Daly told me that as an ambassador, I uh, he thinks the it doesn't matter whether the ambassador Qin has a lot of experience with uh, U.S. affairs as long as that he is the one that who can call make a phone call from the Chinese embassy directly to the South to President Xi. Um, so I think that is a important channel if the U.S. and China side can build up this kind of communication
0: channel sure so, that, make, yeah. that, th- yeah. that makes a lot of sense to be honest yeah. uh somebody with a pipeline to xi jinping mm-hmm. uh now china tends to prefer that that time type of ambassador in beijing too when the u.s sends its ambassador they 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 rather than a veteran diplomat they yes. tend, tend to want a friend of the president because they believe in high level personal ties yes. but this new expected american ambassador to beijing is nick burns Mm-hmm. who's a veteran diplomat. Uh, I don't know how close he is to pre- President Biden, but uh, tell us a little bit about Nick Burns in terms of when is he expected to go to Beijing and how has China treated this selection?
3: Yeah, that's um, that's a question that everybody in Washington is asking as well. Uh, like you say, that he's a career diplomat he and that he's uh, highly respected. Uh, by a lot of people in the diplomatic circle. And uh, like you say, we don't know that how close that he is to the President Biden, but I'm quite sure that he's very close to the Secretary Lincoln and the Kirk Campbell as well, because he, they have, have like a similar experience. Although the um, the, the uh, uh, Ambassador Burns doesn't have that much experience with uh, Asians affair um, he's yeah he spends his professional time most in the European. However, that I think that we can see it as a strategy that the United States is going to play uh, in its Chinese policy, in its China policy. That's that's to u- unify the allies first and to then stand up and fight towards China. So I think um, I think both. Uh, Ambassador Qin and Ambassador Burns can be a very good messenger to both of their countries.
0: The United States and China probably have a lot to talk about, and yet they haven't really been communicating for a long time. Please (laughs) remind our listeners about that meeting in Tianjin two weeks ago, how it went. It seemed to be a bit more of the shouting, but uh, I've heard there was also some practical business done.
3: Um. Oh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think shouting is kind of communi- communication as well. And then I should say that we just saw the Tianjin meeting is another like another style of Alaska meeting to me. However, I think that two sides now, they are will- more willing to present the different idea we have and present their own concern. And for instance, like the Chinese like the Chinese side during the Tianjin meeting. uh, China shows the the, um, deputy secretary Sherman uh, like a two set of to-do list. One is the correction of American need to do. And for instance, like uh, withdraw the visa sanction on CCP members and Chinese students. And the other to-do list is about like the free demand. I would say this, for instance, like uh, no subversion of China's socialist system and not trying to stop China's development and no interfering so-called China sovereignty. So I think it's like they are all same old, same old to me because there are a lot of concerns that China China always has. And then also for the United States side, there are a lot of the um, issue and the problem that they were there for a long time ago. So but now the U.S. side is more willing to speak directly and loudly. So like the the State Department's statement say that they have like a very open and candid discussion. And then that's um, that's a way to manage the U.S.-China relationship, responsibility, uh, with with a responsible way.
0: Being very candid to each other. Well, mm -hmm. finally, on the calendar, are there any other high-level meetings? Will President Biden and President Xi get to meet sometime this year?
3: It is from Chinese side. We are going. Um, they are keep saying that there is a good chance to meet in Italy during the g 20s meeting. However, I don't see the um, any US side or US officials to confirm that. And although the Jack Sullivan has said once, um, um it's possible to prepare some sort of meeting between the presidents. Biden and President Xi, but to me, I would say this because uh, next year President Xi is going to see whether he can uh, have a have, has whether he can have the third term. Of course, everybody thinks that definitely he will. He was still in the office. However, the relationship with the United States is still important for him to cease um, to keep keep his power and to keep himself in the office, if he can at least manage a workable relationship with the United States, um, he probably will still have to be challenging in the CCP party. So um, I would say this, uh, for President Biden, he's kind of like the the one that he can play Tai Chi, being strategic patient a little bit. However, for President Xi, Um, the time is not on his side.
0: I see. That's an interesting dynamic. Mm. One thing for certain, Rita, is no matter what they do, whether they fight, whether they get along, it's (laughs) going to keep you very busy covering them.
3: Exactly.
0: So I thank you again. (laughs) So I thank you again for your time on this busy uh, day, Rita. That's okay.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Please join us again next week for another sampling of RFAs coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Paul Eckert with Radio Free Asia and Matt Pennington. This podcast is edited by Eugene Huang. The series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.